Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Uh, well, we are going to start off with a little bit of the survey that we sent out. So you guys wanted to know some of the results Woo-hoo! of the survey. We, uh, t- tonight, we're going to look at just a couple of the things. Uh, we're going to look at what guys look for in girls and what girls look for in guys and what they, they think the other's looking for. So, uh, so let's, uh, you guys ready for this? So, all right. So first of all, this is the top five things that guys think girls are looking for. And then first of all, um, when this was asked, many of the guys said, or a few of the guys, I should say, said, I have no idea girls are a mystery to me. So, uh, but one, uh, they think that, uh, yeah, so you can read them. I don't need to read them to you. So there you go. Uh, Christ-centered, loyalty, attractive, humor, um, intentionality. That's a good thing. All right. Okay. Next, here's what girls are looking for. Okay. Faithful, God-fearing people. Respectful. That's a good one. Intelligent. UVA is, you know, okay. All right. Uh, Compassion. Kindness and attractive made the list. All right, okay, okay, there we go. All right, okay, so top five things girls think guys are looking for in them, okay? (laughs) That's what they think, but guys, will you surprise them? Will you surprise them? All right, we ready for the reveal? Here we go, and boom, baby! Boom! Now, Aren't you, aren't you impressed by the, by the brothers in Christ in here now, ladies? Aren't you impressed? We, okay. So, it's a pretty good list. I noticed humor was on both lists because everybody likes to laugh, right? Everybody likes to laugh. But I, here's what I figured out. There's, there's two, people, two types of people. There's like the producers of humor, then there's the consumers of humor. And you need both in a relationship, Right. And there's sometimes, so Amy's a little bit more of a consumer of humor, which is good, is because, uh, all right, yeah. But every now and again, <laughs> she says something that catches me so off guard, I laugh till I cry, and then she gets so proud of herself. But, so, <laughs> I do, it's really but kind of, yeah, truly, it's uh, thing. But, yeah, so anyways, uh, so humor's good. So there you go, that's, that's what you guys said. Uh, more will be coming in the future. Um, we're going to go ahead and hop into the message for tonight. We're in the middle of a, a, a series called Love Story, uh, a series on love, sex, and dating. What we're looking at is how we can bring our experiences, our sexual desires, and even our singleness uh, before the Lord and submit our love story to God's greater story of what He's doing in the world. Okay, um, last week I talked about how the culture has its own story. And that the culture's story of salvation is sexual fulfillment and romantic relationships. But God's story is so much greater. God's story is not one where salvation is by something as, um, well, incomplete, for perhaps, as sexual fulfillment. But, but God's salvation is through Christ, which is so much bigger, so much grander, so much more holistic of our lives. Because as we looked at last week, um, romantic relationships aren't the point of life. They're a part of life. The point of life is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and glorifying Him, and having a relationship with Him through Christ. 
and living in his plans and purposes. So anyways, we're going to keep uh, moving in the series. Oh, by the way, tonight, if uh, you have a question, you can text them because we're going to end with a little Q&R if we have time. I can't overpromise something, but that's our hope. Um, so there's the number. So write that down. If you have a question tonight as we go, um, then you can uh, text that number. And hopefully we'll have some time for some Q&R at the end. Okay, here's the thing. In today's day and age, it's kind of complex, isn't it? Like you've got apps to, that you can use to be a part of your love story. There's like social media that makes it really confusing. And texting makes it, re- I mean, there's like a whole like system of rules with texting that you've got to figure out. And do they have the same rules you have? And anyways, it makes it really confusing. You know, 90% of people say that someday they hope to get married. But the truth is, in our current culture, there really is not a steady roadmap of like how to get to the altar. And in previous generations in our culture, there were. Uh, for example, in the early 1900s, there was a very set path. You would do what was called calling. And calling was like if, if uh, a young lady was interested in a guy, her family would invite the guy over to her house and they would sit on the porch or hang out in the living room and play games, checkers, chess. Josh Gong would have impressed uh, the, 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 the uh, father of the... Anyway, okay, so... Um, so you, and and that's, that was the context in which mating happened. And then the car came and entertainment industry started and, and it left the confines of the formality of the family and it moved out of the home and moved um, really into a little bit less formal place, but you would go on dates and, you would, and it was outside of the purview of the, of the family and the parents, so it was more individualistic. And so that was... Uh, the way it worked for a few decades, and then it got even more informal, and we, instead of going on dates, we hang out, and uh, at, in the worst, it's, it goes from hang out to hook up, and, and here's the thing, like, there's these moments where here's a question we never asked when we were uh, in the dating world, is this a date? And now it's like, I don't even know, is this a date, right? Is this a date? Is this a date? Is it? And so, you, you know, there's confusion. Like, are we dating? I think it's, and so there's this informality that brings so much confusion where you're like, okay, do I comment on their Instagram post or do I slide into their DMs? And, oh, no, they, we've been texting every day for five days. What does that mean? And when, when should I reply to their text? Because if I re- reply too quickly, I'll look over eager and, You know, but if I wait too long, you know, this whole game that everything is so complex. And so what we hope to do, and here's the facts. When there's complexity and lack of clarity, here's what it breeds. Anxiety. It brings a lot of anxiety. And so my hope is, is that as we look at some really practical things tonight, that it will bring a little bit of clarity to the road ahead as you may be looking for a mate. Now, tonight we are going to uh, look at, we're calling it writing your love story, and we're going to look at a passage that has a love story in the scriptures. And so it's in uh, Genesis chapter 24. So if you want to go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 24, this is a story that the Bible gives uh, about a, a marriage that happens in a vastly different cultural context, okay? So they were in a vastly different cultural context, but there's some valuable things that we can learn about the process of um, entering into the world of 
writing a love story that I think will be very helpful. So here's the story. The story is a story of Isaac finding a spouse. And Isaac's mom has just died, Sarah, and uh, she only had one son, and his name was Isaac. And so Abram is, or Abraham at this point, is now looking for a, a spouse for his son Isaac and takes his servant, his, uh, his, his most dear uh, help in, the, uh, in, in his family and on his ranch, because Abraham was a rancher, and sends him on this very important trip to help him find a spouse for his son. Because he lived in a very pagan Canaanite area, and so he says, you got to go back to where I'm from to find a spouse for my son Isaac. So, here's what we are going to do. And by the way, that was about a 400-mile journey one way. Okay, so how many people say he meant business, right? Okay, all right. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to frame our comments on three tensions you must embrace as you write your love story. Three tensions that we learn that you must embrace as you write your love story. Okay, so you guys in uh, Genesis chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, and this is uh, the, the servant heading out on this trip. Verse 10 and 11 says this, Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of goods, th- or good things from his master. He set out from Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had his camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Okay. So he has arrived in Nahor. He has his, he sits by the well. Can you feel the suspense? At the time when the women go out to draw water. Okay, the number one, this is the number one, but the first tension that you must embrace as you start to write your love story is this, being proactive but not pre-consumed. The tension of being proactive but not pre-consumed. Okay, so here, we cannot miss this. This may seem so simple, but it is absolutely profound. Abraham sent the servant to go find a spouse 400 miles away. How many people say that's proactive? Okay, that is proactive. Okay. One of the things that I have observed in our current culture is people are not proactive in finding a spouse. Okay? I'm just going to say that. Um, Over 90% of people say they hope to get married, and yet there is a degree of passivity that can happen. I'm not saying everybody is passive. I'm just saying as a whole in our culture, we don't have a marriage mindset. We have more of a sexual fulfillment mindset, and there's many ways to be sexually fulfilled without seeking a spouse. And so people are passive and looking for a spouse. Uh, let me give you a, a proverb. I want to drop some wisdom on you from the sages, okay? All right, here, here's a proverb. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And I, I don't know if you can tell, but the word finds is bolded. Okay, everybody say that with me. He who finds a wife finds what is good. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I didn't, yeah, all right, okay. Here's the point. We need to have a marriage mindset. In other words, if you hope to get married, then be thinking about, okay, how many people hope to get a job? You hope to get a job sometime? Okay, are you thinking about like what will help you get a job? Okay. You get the point? Are you guys following me? 
You guys, do I need to finish that? Okay. Okay. Yes, you do. I do need to say, okay. If you hope to get married, then you should like be thinking about how you'll find a spouse. Okay. Let me uh, show you some statistics. We've been here for 22 years. Uh, 22 years ago when we came, the average marriage age in America for men was 27 years old and for women was 25 years old. In the last 22 years, that has skewed up by three and a half years for both men and women. Okay? And before, when we got here 22 years ago, it had skewed up from 20 years before that. And so now the average mage, average mage, the average age a man gets married in America is 30 and a half years. And for a woman, 28.6 years. So Harrison and Claire, they're, they're ahead of the curve. Okay, all right. All right, um, so, being proactive. But here's the tension. Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to us that we need in life, right? And I take that very, very seriously. Seek first the kingdom of God. So, we are proactive, but not pre-consumed. We're pre-consumed with his kingdom, right? That's our priority. But we are proactive in finding a spouse. He who finds a wife finds what is good and is blessed of the Lord. Okay. Having said that, right before Jesus says this of, you know, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he, he says, like, look at the sparrows. Look how God takes care of them. He feeds them. How much more important are you? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think When's the last time you saw a sparrow sitting on the end of a, of a fence post with their mouth open, going, just waiting for a worm to drop in their mouth? How many people think that that's what Jesus was talking about? No. What do sparrow, how do sparrows get worms? They go looking for them. And as they go looking for them, how do you, what do you, they, they know God will provide worms, right? That's the way he made the world. Here's the point. It is a wise thing if you... Hope to get married, to be proactive and not be the sparrow sitting on the top of the fence post with your mouth open. Are you guys following me? So we want to be proactive without being pre-consumed. And, but, okay. I remember I was walking down Stadium Road years ago with a student, and I happened to know that a young lady um, liked him. I have my sources. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was walking down Stadium Road, and I said, so, uh, so what do you think of so-and-so? And he's like, well, she's nice and all. I just don't have time for a relationship right now. And he, and he goes through his, like, really hectic life, like, I lead a core group and have a major. <laughs> and I asked him this question. I said, let me ask you a question. When you graduate, do you think life gets less complex, and less busy. I said, do you think it's going to be less busy when you have to drive 35 to 40 minutes every day to work and back home, when you work 8 to 10 hours a day, and when you come home, you have to do your laundry, pick up your dry cleaning, go grocery shopping, do your bills, and he was starting to melt right there. Right? I was like, so do you think it's going to get less complex? Yeah, I guess not. Well, the next time we met up, they were dating. And then fast forward about eight months, and I performed their wedding. And now they've got three kids. 
Okay. So, ladies, just tell Amy. Well, no. No, here's the point. Here's the point. Okay. And I am now on the Christmas card list, okay? And I should be. And so, oh, because. <laughs> now, here's the point. Okay, guys, here's the point. One nudge of proactivity changed their life. Changed their life. Okay, what I am not saying, please don't misunderstand me. You do not have to find your spouse in college, okay? But it's a good time to be proactive. It's like a stock palm, baby, okay? <laughs> you do not have to find your spouse in college. And by the way, some of you should not be dating right now because you are growing in your own walk with Jesus to be in a place where you can handle a relationship well. That is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So I'm not trying to push everybody out there. I am just saying that what we see is a proactivity that led to something good, and we have seen many other people step into that. And not being people who are just sitting on their fence post with their mouth open waiting for the worm. Are you guys following me? Okay. All right. What else do I got to say? I think that's all I got to say about that. So let's have a marriage mentality. Let's not be pre-consumed, but let's not be passive, right? Be proactive, okay, and seek first the kingdom of God in the process. Okay, number two, the second tension you need to embrace is this. God is involved, but you have agency. Okay, read this with me, verse 12. Let's, let's read this together. He, or then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let me let down your jar that I may have a drink, that she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And read verse 15. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with a jar on her shoulder. Okay, just stop there for a second. What we see is this servant, as he goes on this journey, that he prays for God's partnership, direction, and confirmation as he is proactive. John Mark Comer in his book, Loveology, which, by the way, I highly recommend, and it's $10 more expensive on Amazon, okay? And I've read this many books like that, you know, thick of, of books lined up on this topic. It, to me, is probably the best one-stop shopping. I agree with almost everything it says. Almost. Okay. All right. So, everybody, be, well, what don't you? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Anyways, um, it's really, really good. But here's the point. He says that this is the first time in the Bible a prayer for guidance is recorded. And, it, and he says, I couldn't think of a better thing to pray for guidance and partnership in. That as you seek a spouse, if you want to get married, if you're part of 10% doesn't want to get married, then God bless you. That is, there's nothing wrong with that. God gives people that gift. But if you want to get married, then I encourage you to, to pray it with prayers of partnership, direction, and confirmation as you seek a spouse. Now, let me say this. I do not espouse the idea of a soulmate. That is a... Uh, that comes from Plato, not from Jesus, and it's wrapped up in Greek mythology, not in the Bible, okay? 
So I do not believe in, in a soulmate. I don't believe that Amy is, that, uh, that, that, no, no, no. I, I believe in Amy. No, no, no. Uh-oh. Don't you worry, there. No, no, you don't know what I'm going to say. So hold, withhold your judgment, please. Okay. I don't believe that I'm the only person out of three billion people that Amy could be happily married to. I don't believe that. I believe that there are many people that Amy could have been happily married to. I believe there's probably many people in this room that you could be happily married to. Okay, then that gets weird, but okay, but it's true. <laughs> I believe it. I do. I, I believe it. Okay, so, but here's the point. But I do believe so, that God was involved in bringing us together. I don't believe that he was uninvolved. And we don't have time to tell the story tonight. Maybe we'll the rest of the series, but... Um, but if you heard it, you'd probably say, wow, that, I believe God was involved in that. Now, at this, so I prayed when I was single. I would, I, Jesus got to hold my heart, and I'll share that a little bit later, how this all happened. Um, I have a very similar story to what was shared. This was so powerful. I'm so grateful you shared that. Um, and so I remember laying in my bed praying this very simple prayer. Lord, prepare me for my future spouse and prepare my future spouse for me. I mean, I prayed that so many times. Lord, just prepare me for my future spouse. Prepare my future spouse for me. And the Lord was doing stuff in her, and the Lord was doing stuff in me. And then, eventually, we met. Can I tell you that when my kids were born, I started early praying, Lord, prepare them for their future spouse, and prepare their future spouse for them. Not because I believe there's one out there. I don't believe that. But I do believe God will be involved in their journey as they submit it to Him. And so I want to encourage you to understand that God writes stories. But it doesn't mean there's a soulmate, okay? Um, So let's read what happens. Verse 19. After she had given him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. Okay. As he's praying, she walks out, and what does she do? Exactly, exactly what he had prayed. And so you know what he did? He said, well, let me see if somebody else comes along. Maybe there's a better person that will come if I'm just patient. Okay, anyways. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a second. Um, The point is, God was involved. However, the other side of the tension is, you have agency. You have agency. So we see that God is definitely involved in this love story as it's progressing. But we also see Rebecca absolutely has agency. He, the servant asked Rebecca to give him a drink, and she offered to give him a drink as well as to water his camels as well. And then later he asks if he can stay at her family's home, and she offers her family's home and, and hospitality to him. He gives her gifts. She receives those gifts. Um, and as then, as the servant is in her family's home, and they're hearing the servant unfold this story of his journey up to this point, they say out loud, we see the Lord's hand in this. Like they're seeing that there's something happening here that is very specific and the Lord's hand. And then ultimately we see then Rebecca says, yes, I will go with you. 
That's huge. She had so much agency throughout this entire unfolding of her journey that she said, yes, I'm going to go and I'm going to go right away. And that's huge for us to understand in this partnership of this tension. Because, you know, um, when I was in college, one of my guy friends, um, we were just friends, but uh, he, <laughs> seriously, like we were, like we were, but yeah, you're, you're, you know, there's something coming, but, um, but he did, he did like me and he approached me and he said, <laughs> can't blame him. I'm just saying, hey, <laughs> um, <laughs> so sweet. But um, he approached me and he said, you know, Amy, I feel like that God told me that we're going to get married. (laughs) And I mean, we were totally friends. This was no like nothing. And I was like, I had to at that point be like, okay, we're going to respectfully talk about this. But I have to be very, very clear that I do not feel the same way. I do not see this happening. And I had to like work that thing out with him of like, that's not, that's not what's happening. I had agency in that relationship and, um, had to work through some awkwardness of that. Um, but Hey, agency at play. So we see this beautiful partnership of that God is involved. We invite his partnership, his direction, his confirmation while also we have agency in it. Great. The third and final tension, and we'll spend some more time on this one, is this. Don't have your standards too low, but don't have your standards too high. Now that may sound a little bit like a contradiction, but I think as we go through it, you're going to see the wisdom in this. And so what we see in this story is that he knew who Isaac could not marry. There are absolute standards of who could not be the spouse. It couldn't be a pagan Canaanite, right? And so that was a very clear standard. Then we also see that by what he prayed for, that he had standards of what type of person it would be. And so uh, Amy's going to come and and share a little bit about standards, and then I'll come after that. Yeah, so as we talk out standards, we see there's some absolute non-negotiable standards in who we should date. And so the first one, right out of the gate, I'm just going to say it plainly, and then we'll kind of like back it up from there, that as you're looking for who you should date, as a Christian, you need to date a Christian. And we're going to see that really clearly throughout Scripture. Um, This is clearly stated, repeated again and again. God says, you must, a Christian must marry another Christian. And there's some Scriptures there as well as... um, is what we're looking for that ultimately because, so let me back that up a little bit. You're dating to discern and to see if this person could be a future spouse, right? And so you're going in that direction. You're going in that path. And so ultimately in Christian marriage, the purpose and the goal is oneness, Spiritual oneness. We are people of the spirit. Jesus is our center, our core. We need to share that with our spouse. This is a lifelong covenant. We need to have that be at the center, the core of of our relationship because this person will be so, could 
be such a blessing to us in our thriving and our continued growth and development in Christ and just, and just that sharing of, of heart and oneness. And ultimately, that person will also have huge influence over our future children and their decisions about faith as well. It goes way beyond us in these things too. So, so we see that, that we need to ultimately marry and so therefore date a Christian that in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4, God is very clear. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their, da- yeah, or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. That as well we see in 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. So we're just seeing that God is just saying, hey, look, this has to be central in your lifelong covenant, a true devotion to Jesus. And shout out to you all, Chi Alpha family. You guys rocked it in your survey. That is your number one, guys and girls. Boom. So yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, you know, that's, that's awesome. So hats off to you guys. Um, that you guys have this. And so this is just giving you an additional um, anchor and kind of foundation of why that is number one and affirming that it is. And ultimately, this is not being mean. This is being logical. That this isn't speaking about how we embrace and value and include those in our lives who aren't yet believers and aren't are currently non-Christians. This is about who you're choosing to be compatible for a lifelong covenant. And so you're looking for someone to share the most sacred and fullest center, Jesus, um, in you for that. And so we see as well in King Solomon's life just a really sad unfolding of his story in 1 Kings 11 that here is Solomon, King Solomon, stated as one of the wisest men in the world. And then it says, he took, so he took wives from all different um, areas and all different faiths. Uh, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. Here he was, the wisest man, but yet this area of his life eroded uh, his relationship with God over a period of time. So we see it happen, and we, our hope is, is that it would not happen uh, to anyone in this room by holding to this standard as non-negotiable of looking at that. And so the question is, okay, so I'm attracted to somebody who is not a Christian. What do I do with that? Um, and... My advice is to acknowledge it and then drop it. So there you go. Um, So what that looks like is like, hey, okay, it happens. All right? Um, There's something about that person that you find attractive. Acknowledge it, but then just drop it. So that means that you don't then like start to daydream about what things could look like or how that could unfold or how the story could change or anything like that. I mean, you drop it. And then you move on, 
Okay, like you just, you move, you just know that that's not, that's a closed door, that you can um, still have friendship and, and um, relationship with that person, but, but that area of life is closed. And uh, so we see as well in those other possible non-negotiables, we're looking for values and virtues that are shared. So we see in Rebecca's story that after she'd given him, the servant, a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So I love, I love this. And let me just point out, there were 10 camels, y'all. 10, okay? So she offered this generously to this man that she had just met. Uh, And camels can drink up to 25 gallons in one sitting. 25 gallons in one sitting. 10 camels. I know I got math majors out there. 250 gallons, one person. One person, one bucket. Drawn from this well. And she offered that. She knew. This was was her thing. She knew what she was offering. And she offered it willingly. This is why the servant watched her closely. And he knew what an extravagant prayer he had prayed. Right? He knew. He knew he brought ten camels. And he knew that he asked the God of Abraham to have her offer to water his camels. And so he wanted to watch her closely to see how is this going to be done. And I imagine, I imagine this play out in my head, but I know that she passed passed the virtue test because he continued going down that road, right? And took her actions as additional confirmation of the Lord's answer to his prayer and of his journey. And so we see this, that here she was, a woman who was servant-hearted. She was generous. And we're looking at, as we look at these non-negotiables for us, we're looking at these similar character pieces and virtues of life, of looking for someone who is uh, has integrity, character, is forgiving, is gracious, is, um, you, can, you can just, the list kind of can go on, but we're looking at these things of, of this area of life being what we're really like looking for and focusing in on of, of what is going to be true of us. Because, you know, the servant was not just looking for a lover for Isaac. He was looking for a best friend, a mom of his children, and a life partner. And these are things that are huge pieces that we're looking at partnership and covenant. And so it's important for you to know that in your marriage, you're going to spend a lot of time with this person, right? You're going to spend a lot of time. So choose someone that you enjoy being around. Friendship is a huge foundation in marriage that you're looking for someone that you're going to be like hanging around the house with, watching TV, having meals together over the season of life, raising kids together, going on road trips together. You're going to have a lot of life. And so choose someone that you enjoy. I chose very well. I love my husband and I look forward to spending time with him so much. And he makes me laugh so much. (laughs) 
So love, love, love that. And so many things about him. So at the base of marriage is friendship. And um, Ben Stewart says in his book, Newsflash, when you are married, most of your time together will not be spent having sex. So just putting it out there, you know, then <laughs> the room gets very quiet. <laughs> did she just say that? I did, I did. Um, and it's a quote, so I just felt like out of integrity, I needed to like fully quote it. Um, but the point is, is that although, yes, sex is a beautiful gift in marriage, you need to be friends because you're having a whole lot of life done together day in and day out. Enjoy each other, compliment each other, and have that be a part of what you're looking for. That uh, basically, as you're looking for um, someone to date, the other thing that you're kind of figuring out and discerning is you don't want your personalities to go against the grain of one another. You know, that it's true that relationships take some work, and uh, that there is compromise and there will be hurt feelings and there is forgiveness. That's all a part of human relationship. But there's also this kind of area where a relationship shouldn't be too much work. Like there's just some, some areas that are just these personality pieces that just tend to just kind of like just grind against each other for the long haul. And um, uh, there's a proverb that gives us some real wisdom here of Proverbs 21.9. Better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. So, <laughs> so I just share that to share a little bit of like this, this word picture that I think Proverbs gives us so well that basically you can kind of like, if you're interviewing this guy, like, right, he's like on the corner of his roof, like, why are you up there? What are you doing, dude? Oh, it's better for me to be here at the corner of my roof than to be down there with her. Like that's, <laughs> right? like, that's not what you're wanting in a lifelong covenant. <laughs> So those are some non-negotiables. For me, this is, I knew that a non-negotiable for me was I needed to marry someone that didn't have a combustive personality. And the reason is because I, everybody has strengths and weaknesses and who they are, and I knew from my background and my personality that um, if I married the wrong person, I could be in a fairly combustive marriage. And so whenever I met Amy, like she was the opposite of the intensity of my personality and such a peace-loving person and peaceful person that I was like drawn to that because that was going with the grain of what I needed in a spouse. Does that make sense just from my, from my own background and my own um, the way I was formed, if you will? And so that has been a gift. So that was a non-negotiable in me. I remember telling her, like, I just want a house of peace And I saw that possibility with her. So those are uh, non-negotiables. Let's talk a little bit about negotiables. So negotiables are just preferences but not requirements. Um, Let me tell you one of my uh, negotiables. I wanted to marry an athletic girl. Um, I want, you know, somebody, because I love sports. I played sports all all year round. And I married the daughter of a librarian. Um, Not a lot of athletic genes being handed down there. Um, And you know what? I'm good with it. Totally good with it. Like, she will sit down and humor me and watch some football with me, but doesn't care. So she always, the first question is like, the first question is, so who are you going for? Then she knows who she's going for, because she doesn't care. And she had a negotiable too, uh, because in college she was in, uh, you know, she really liked the outdoors, and she married an avid indoorsman. Um, You know, like, I, I couldn't put a tent together whenever we got married. But the point is, 
Those were negotiables. If you have a list of non-negotiables where you have to like turn the page, you have too many. I remember one time I was uh, with, talking to a young lady who was in our fellowship. And I, she's like, yeah, I have my list of non-negotiables. And it was, I mean, it was almost cliche. I, I'm not making this up at all. She was like, I want somebody who's strong but sensitive, hardworking but family-oriented. And it just kept going on and on and on. And I said, I think I know him. His name is Jesus. <laughs> Okay, here's what I'm telling you. Whoever you marry, newsflash, they're going to be human. Okay, here's the point. You better not have too long of a list. So let's talk about, so we're talking about not having standards too high with this. Um, How important are looks? I, I asked it, yes. I would say this, you do need a certain level of attraction to your spouse, okay? Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I read an article about three months ago from the really uh, well-researched site of OkCupid. It was a, a survey they did. I think that's an app. I don't know. I don't know. But they did a survey where they had women look at men and rank them as... Um, on their looks. Do you know that in this test, 80%, they ranked 80% of men below average? Okay. Can I state the obvious? That's not mathematically possible. But it's worse than that. It means our standards for beauty as a culture are not reasonable. I believe that in this room, hopefully it would be different. Let me give you a quote from C.S. Lewis in a book called Screwtape Letters. And this is about a demon writing to a demon of how to cause chaos in Christian's life. And he says this, The aim is to guide each sex further and further away from those members of the other with whom spiritually helpful happy and fertile marriages are most likely. Direct the man's view of beauty more and more towards something that does not exist. This makes the role of the eye in sexuality more and more important, and yet, at the same time, the demand more and more impossible. What follows is easy to forecast. Wow. Does that sound relevant? See, what marriage and a marriage mindset forces us to do is to broaden our understanding of beauty. Because you have to broaden your understanding of of beauty to include things like character and virtue and godliness because, uh, honestly, the more time you spend with somebody, they'll either become more attractive to you or less attractive to you, right? Because godliness is beautiful, is it not? Come on. And so, so when you are, have a marriage mindset and not just a, a, 
that'd be a fun weekend mindset, then your view of beauty expands. And here's the facts. I mean, Proverbs says this, that beauty is fleeting. Okay, let me show you a picture. Let me show you who Amy married and who she's married to. Okay, I'm not saying I was beautiful, so please don't get me wrong. I had hair though. Okay, so she had no idea this was going to happen. Like it's, but here's the point. Proverbs says this, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Does there need to be a level of attraction? Yes. But beauty fades. And it can't be an idol. And I have a concern that in our culture, we've made physical beauty an idol. to where the standards are almost unreachable. Okay, I I need to start wrapping up. But let me just say this. Some people have standards that are so high that subconsciously they're with a really quality person. They're still in their mind acting like they're the bachelor or their bachelorette. In other words, here's what they constantly wonder. Is there a better option out there? Like they're the bachelor, bachelorette. Like all the other women, all the other men are just waiting for them to be single. I remember one time I had a student ask me. He was dating a very godly young lady. He was attracted to her. And he asked me, he said, I just wonder if there's somebody better out there for me. You know what I said? Yes, there is. But she probably lives in Singapore. And when you meet her, she may not like you. And this young lady, who you're attracted to, who's a virtuous person, she likes you. And I mean, honestly, this is the honest goodness truth. When Amy liked me, I was like, oh my goodness, a woman of this quality likes me. I wasn't thinking about, well, I wonder who else will come in like three weeks or three months. Here's the problem with it. I don't want you to lower your standards out of fear. But I also don't want you to take somebody that you that has values and virtues that you're attracted to, that likes you for granted. Are you following me? Life isn't a big bachelor or bachelorette episode. So we have to live in the tension of not having our standards too low. No, there's non-negotiables, but not too high, where you're always wondering if somebody better would come along. And so that is a tension that we have to live in. Okay, let me just quickly hit this. I have some other stuff. Maybe it'll come out. I, I don't, we'll try to do a couple questions, Q&A, but we won't take, keep you too, too long. Okay, let, here, quickly, how to break up like a Christian. Um, don't. Okay, okay, this is important. Throw this in at the end. Okay, we'll do this in like one and a half minutes. Okay, number one, don't postpone the inevitable. In other words, um, when, when you know it's not going to lead to marriage, don't just keep postponing it because they could be getting way ahead of you emotionally, and that's when um, things start to be difficult. Be honest but sensitive, right? So, like, be honest that this is, you know, don't leave false hope, and, okay, this is coming to an end. Um, and then take some distance to heal. In other words, you don't need to text them every day, see how they're doing in the breakup. Are you following me? Like, they got brothers or sisters in Christ that's going to rally around them, make them forget about you. Okay, no, not, not totally, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> going to help them heal, all right? Like, okay. And then treat them with honor in the community and be kind. And then finally, respond with faith, not fear. When Amy told me that we were not going to be dating, 
I remember I went into the woods <laughs> to meet with God. <laughs> and I was pointing my finger at God. I was like, God, she said, we can't date. And I, I remember praying this. I said, God, thank you for showing me, Amy. Thank you for showing me that, there's, that you have daughters out there that I can be excited about. And I going to trust you that if she isn't somebody you have for me, that you have somebody that could be equally as excited about or even more excited, even though I can't imagine it, as I truly did pray that. Okay. <laughs> because here's the deal. We have to walk in faith. Fear can so quickly creep into this area of our lives. Can it not? Just walk in faith. And then, okay, next slide. Um, they can date other people. You don't have residual rights to them. You don't have one shot in Chi Alpha. Come on now. Okay, the Bible doesn't have a category called dating. It has a category called brother and sister in Christ. And you date to find out if they're going to move from brother or sister in Christ to spouse. There's no in-between status in the Bible. That means when you find out they're just going to be a brother or sister in Christ, that other people can find out if they're going to move from that into marriage. Are you guys following me? We don't claim rights to people with residual claims because I, okay. Because if that happens, everybody's going to be scared to date anyone because they're going to think, I got one chance. And then I'll have a scarlet letter. And that's not biblical. I don't think that's Christian love. Right? So we're respectful of people. I, you know, I get all that. But we're also, we don't have residual claims. Okay. Wow. I, there's, I, I, I'm skipping this up, but um, let's just go ahead and put up the, the, the tensions. These are the three tensions. Did I give you a slide with the three tensions or did I not? I may have forgot. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> this story that we looked at is actually a big love story because they get married and they have a baby called Jacob, who has 12 sons. They end up becoming the nation of Israel. And God comes in the redemption story through the nation of Israel, and Jesus is born. And your story connects to this story, and here's the point. The point is is this, that all of our stories are about us, but they're about more than us. They have ripple effects, just like Isaac and Rebecca's story did. And this is why it will impact our lives, it will impact other people's lives. This is why we submit our love story to God's greater story. And ultimately, it all points to the great love story of Jesus, who came to make covenant possible with us so we could be with him forever. And that's the love story that trumps all other love stories. And that we want our love story to be submitted to. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, we said we'd do Q&A. We'll, we'll, we'll do like three or four minutes. But that's it. Um, can we? And, if, and here's the thing. We're going to have some breakout sessions. And, uh, and so we can do more Q&A in those sessions. Okay, so uh, should I go on dates with somebody I'm not 100% sure? When, if I'm not 100% sure of my feelings? You want me to answer that? I say yes. Yes. Amen to that. <laughs> yes. I second that yes. I, yes right. squared. You're, you're figuring it out. In good conscience, you're figuring it out. So, yeah. yes. 
What is the harm of getting to know somebody better? If you, if you have a right foundation where it can be redefined, then what do you lose? Maybe there's a little vulnerability. I get that, okay? I'm not, I'm not, but yeah, give them a shot. Maybe they'll make you laugh more than you thought. Maybe you'll be drawn into the kindness of their eyes more than you thought, right? Like some people, like we had this guy in a fellowship. Every girl liked him because he listened so well, right? Here's the thing. You just never know. You never know. Okay, yeah. Next question. What are your thoughts on ladies asking the guy first? I wondered if this one was going to come. Go um, for it. <laughs> boom. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I would, I would commend a book of the Bible to you called Ruth. All right? We'll just say she was a little bit proactive, putting herself out there, Mordecai's feet, putting on some good smelling stuff, like taking some initiative, right? Okay. Um, and here's something you need to know, ladies. Um, don't tell the guys, but they're chickens. All right? Okay, here's what you need to know. We are scared. We are scared. We, we, we're, we, we don't like vulnerability. We're scared of rejection. So we really like if you can make it really obvious to us that you're really, you know, interested. That, that, that makes, okay, okay, okay. That makes you a little vulnerable, but then the vulnerability meets in the middle, okay? So, but guys, remember point one, proactive, but not pre-consumed. Let's just keep, okay, so let's remember that. Yes, but I, I think that's, okay, one more question. How do I know when I'm ready to date? Mm. That's a really good question. Um, I would say this. That's a really good question. Um, I think first you have your non-negotiables down. We'll start there. Yeah. You have standards of what your dating will and will not include. And you have community around you to keep you honest. I think if you have those things like community, make sure you're seeking first the kingdom of God, right? You have your non-negotiables and you have standards that you, of what you will and will not include in your relationship, which we'll talk more about later in the series. But um, then I think, then yeah, you got some accountability around you and they're going to go on the journey with you. We call them wingmen sometimes. You're all right, they're, they're with you in the journey and they're, they're rooting for you, but they're also rooting for not just um, your relationship, with the girl or the guy, they're rooting for your relationship with Jesus. And if you're being not so, so smart, they're going to tell you that. And we all need those people in our lives. Wow, I, I, I wish we had a lot more time for questions, but I don't want to keep you longer than you want to be here. Okay, okay, well, one, one more question too? I don't know. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, one more, one more. Okay, one more, one more. Okay. Should someone who doesn't get... Married till mid to late 20s, date in college, even if it means you're in dating period for a while. I think, I mean, I don't know how you know when you're going to get married. <laughs> I, I don't. Love that does be, have a way to take hold. Yeah, <laughs> I would say this. If you don't date when you're in college, then you're saying that that's when you're going to get married, right? Like, so... I would, I would just say this, if you date well, the risk go, is lower. There's always vulnerability. Don't get me wrong. There's always vulnerability. But if you date well with somebody who shares a common foundation with you that will spur you on towards Jesus, then 
you will learn something even if you, well, I, tell, I tell people, I was like, when you fall down, pick something up. When you break up, okay, what did you learn from this relationship? Hopefully you don't have a ton of wounds because you did it in a, as well as you can. I understand there's emotions that get awakened and that can be painful and I'm not marginalizing that. We've, many of us have experienced that. But it's not irreparable in the sense of like you're not wounded for life. It's just disappointment you're dealing with. But when you, and so if you do it well, then you learn something along the way and you can start to hone in who I'm compatible with and what am I really, are you guys following me? Like it it can be a learning experience. And so it's not like I got to get it right the first time I ask somebody on a date. And so in in my mind, that's self-fulfilling if you don't. And maybe you'll be surprised that you you move up your timeline if you find somebody that you are compatible with that meets your non-negotiables and that you're excited to to spend the rest of your life with. So, I don't know. Maybe that's the... Anything to add to that, Amy? Yeah, no, I think that's very true. I think that, you know, like I... You know a little bit of our story from last week of how I wasn't anticipating at the point that I met Pete that I would be in a relationship, and God totally surprised me in an amazing way. So, you just never know. Yeah, and she was in her final semester of her fourth year, so uh, don't get out of the game too early, okay? I'm just saying. Um, and Or... If you need to get it, like, guys, if, if you're fourth year, last minute, it's, it's not too late to get in the game. Okay, yeah, okay. so um, let me just pray for us. Will you guys stand? I want to pray. We talked about these tensions. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would give courage where courage is needed for people to step out to seek a good thing. That he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So I pray for courage where people are being prompted to step out. Lord, I pray that um, you'd give people faith to trust you as they take steps, that they would understand that you are involved, that they would invite you into it, that they would partner with you in this part of their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to to stay strong with their non-negotiables, even if it costs them temporarily. And Lord, give them wisdom as they navigate who they're compatible with. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, give people faith, hope, and love in this area of their life, that they would keep their eye on you, that you would be sufficient for them as they seek first the kingdom of God, and that they would also um, have wisdom as they proactively look to see you at work in this area of their life. So I pray over these young people. I pray you would bless them. I pray you would form the desires of their heart. And then I pray that you would be at work in their story, that they would see you do beautiful things in their friendships, in their, this community, and in the specific area that they desire um, to see you at work in, in the romantic relationships of their life. And so, Lord, they're looking to you. I pray that you'd give them contentment, but also wisdom of how to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been fun tonight, and uh, I'll give you the benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And as you follow him, may he give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.